Tonight, we're going we're gonna to jump back into our series called, What Would Jesus Undo? Everybody say that. What would Jesus undo? Many of you remember a few years back, there were bracelets. Everybody was wearing bracelets and ball caps and t-shirts, WWJD. I remember the first time that I saw that um, at school, and, and I asked a kid, I said, what does that mean? He, say, he said, it means, what would Jesus do? And uh, I said, well, why do you have that? And he said, well, you know, if I go to do something bad... I asked myself, what would Jesus do? <laughs> would Jesus do this or not? And uh, this was just like a seventh grader's take on it. And, and uh, I said, well, does it work? He said, yeah, so far it's working pretty good. <laughs> what would Jesus do? How many of you remember that, that trend we went through? I mean, we, that was really before social media was a big thing, but it was everywhere. It was on bumper stickers on cars because people wanted to know what would Jesus do? Well, in this series... We're taking a different look at that, and we're saying that in this day and age, in the church, what would Jesus undo? What are the things that he would not do? Uh, he would undo behavior and attitudes that, that he really despises in his heart. And we talked, Pastor talked so well on the first week, um, how he would undo um, a, a, an uninterested spirit, a a complacent spirit, a disinterested spirit. Uh, we, we talked about the second week how he would undo, um, he would undo hollow worship. That if if Jesus could undo anything, he would undo people coming to church and worshiping with their lips, but not with their hearts. If Jesus could undo anything, he would undo hollow worship. Amen. And so tonight we're going to jump into the third lesson. And uh, again, I honor Pastor for the opportunity to teach this lesson, and um, I certainly probably am not qualified. In fact, I don't know anybody who's really qualified to teach this lesson, because I think that we've all been guilty of this thing that Jesus would undo at one time or another. And, and tonight our topic is, if, if Jesus could undo anything, he would undo hypocrisy. Somebody say hypocrisy. Now, does anybody know a hypocrite? <laughs> Pastor, is anybody sitting by one? Just raise your hand. <laughs> Pastor and I were laughing in church because, uh, before church because he was telling me the story of a, a pastor who got up at the end of the service. He said, now if you're standing next to a sinner, raise your hand. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everybody's, hey, this guy over here, he's a sinner. I saw him last week in the liquor aisle at the grocery store. Somebody say hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. We, we know hypocrites. We've experienced hypocrisy. In fact, probably all of us at one time or another, maybe they're, I'm sure Mamaw excluded, everybody else in the room has probably been a hypocrite at one time or another. <laughs> and I, I want to say that hypocrisy is something that impacts the church world today. How many of you ever heard this? Um, when people say, well, why don't you go to church? You know, why don't you come to church with me? Well, I would go to church, but there's a bunch of hypocrites there. Anybody ever heard that? I, I would go, but man, the hypocrites. It is the number one complaint from non-Christians about Christians is hypocrisy. Is that they say they're one thing, but they really are not that thing. There's something different. And they say, I don't go to church because of all the hypocrites. And you know what we always say? 
is we always say, well, come on anyways, there's always room for one more, <laughs> right? <laughs> it ain't going to hurt anything, just come on in, the water's just fine. <laughs> but it's true that there are no perfect people. But I, I want to just say at the beginning tonight that it's okay. It's okay for us to acknowledge that sometimes people are legitimately hurt by people who represent God to them. Sometimes people are legitimately wounded by the actions of people who call themselves Christian. Now, I'm all about loyalty and being a team player, but it's okay. The next time somebody tells you, I don't want to go to church because there's hypocrites there, don't say, no, there's not, because there is. Hypocrisy is something the church deals with, and sometimes people are legitimately hurt by people who represent God. In fact, going back in 2018, it became a trend on Twitter, hashtag church hurt. And thousands upon thousands of people began to post about the things that they had been through, uh, things that were said to them and done to them, and uh, how they were deceived. And, and they use this hashtag church hurt. And for weeks, it was trending on Twitter. Someone I trusted lied to me. Someone I looked up to deceived me. Some shared stories of being molested, others of being manipulated and spiritually abused, some of being treated unmercifully, and the stories were almost endless. Now, I'll say this, that not everything that upsets people at church is hypocrisy. And some of the stuff that came out on that was nonsense, because I, I want to tell you, preaching truth, sometimes it steps on toes. It just does. It just does. If, if, if the Bible says thou shalt not lie and you love to lie, you might get offended. <laughs> Sorry, can't help you there. And so that stuff aside, I, I just want to say that, that it's a, a real issue in Christianity. And if there was something that Jesus could undo in this modern church age, I believe that he would do undo hypocrisy. I once heard a preacher say that when you walk into a place and it, and it has bar on the sign outside, generally you get what you expect. It's a bar on the inside. When you pull up and it says target on the outside of the building, and you walk inside, generally you get what you expect. But it is a frustrating thing for people when they are looking for God, and when they, the, the sign says church, but they come in and they don't find any resemblance of God anywhere. You can see why that would be frustrating. In fact, uh, Brennan Manning, the author of the great book, the uh, Ragamuffin Gospel, said this. He said, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Another said it this way, that if it were not for Christians, I would believe in their Christ. The reality is that we represent Christ to the world. And I, I didn't come to preach and just hammer on us for all being hypocrites. But the reality is that we are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are called to live a different kind of life, to love differently than the world loves, to live differently than the world 
lives. And, and so I want to talk a little bit about hypocrisy tonight. Now, I drew this card, pastor asked me to speak, and I said, oh man, hypocrisy, that's a tough one to teach on. <laughs> that one is tough. Because that one, it, it, if y'all haven't noticed, this series sounds really cool, but it's a series of gut punches week after week. Hollow worship and, and indifferent spirits. That stuff hits home, and so does this one. Because I just want to say, first of all, what hypocrisy is not. Because I think there's some confusion that any time a Christian sins, they are guilty of hypocrisy. I want to say this. Hypocrisy is not the disparity between what we do and, and, and it's, let me say this again because I got it twisted. Hypocrisy is not the disparity between what we do and what we wish we did. That's not what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is not the gap between where I am and where I want to be. Hypocrisy is not me believing in prayer but not praying enough, but I'm, I'm seeking towards that. I'm growing towards that. That's not hypocrisy because as Christians, we are always in the process of becoming more like Jesus. And to put it simply, we still are just not there yet. We're just not there yet. I want to love like Jesus, but sometimes the way people drive makes me not. <laughs> I want to show Christ to the world. <laughs> I want to, but some days I do better than others. Can we be okay and just admit that? Some days I show my kids Jesus and other days not so much of Jesus in that. Don't hold God responsible for that, kids. I'm just in a bad mood. But, but that's the reality is we're just not there yet. There will always be areas where we aspire to do better. There will always be weaknesses that God is working on in me. Uh, because people, after all, are a complicated project. It's not like building other things because there is a systematic process. You just follow this process. And as much as we would like that to be the truth, in our spiritual growth. That's just not the way it is. People are complicated. And it takes time to outgrow issues. And I'll just interject this. is when we, when we don't pass the test, guess what? We get to take it again. And again and again and again. And some of us have been stuck on the same test for a long time. Does that mean you're a hypocrite? No. It just means that you're still learning how to pass the test. Amen. There's an old children's song. Maybe you remember. He's still working on me. He's still working on me. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. Anybody know it? How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Now, when you consider the handiwork of the universe and, and the moon and the stars, David said that thou hast ordained and, and the creatures that God created and you begin to dig into the science of creation, it took him just a week to make everything that we see and we know and we experience. And while this song sounds sweet and cute, it really is shocking that God could do all of that in six days. But me, it's taking him some time. <laughs> me, he's still working on. He flung the stars just into the right spot. He put the moon right where it needed to be to control the tides. He, he, he set everything just just so he fine-tuned the universe to be what it is in six days and rested on the seventh. 
But I fear that more often than not, God's working overtime on you and me. (laughs) He's still working on us. And there are moments that we all come face to face with a gap between what we are not and what we wish we could be. And that is not hypocrisy. I just want to clarify that. Because the standard is not perfection. God does not require us to be perfect. God just requires us to be repentant. And so, that's not hypocrisy. I wish I didn't have bad thoughts. Especially when someone cuts you off in traffic. But I do, right? I wish that I had a solid prayer life, but I don't. I wish that I was beyond jealousy and beyond gossip and beyond saying the wrong things at the wrong times. But sometimes I'm just not. Can I get an amen? Sometimes I wish I didn't lie, but I did. And if you have been a Christian for very long, you have experienced these moments where you have done what you did not want to do. Paul said it this way. He said, the thing that I would do, I do not do. And the thing that I don't want to do, I do. He said, I find therefore then a law in my body and in my flesh that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Paul said, we are not perfect. We are never perfect. We are being perfected. And that's the difference is hypocrisy is not lacking perfection. It it, it is not, not being where you want to be yet. Christians are not supposed to be perfect. Christians are supposed to be perfected. And in the process of being perfected, sometimes we're going to stumble. Sometimes we're going to fall. We'll sin sometimes. Sometimes we let our flesh take the lead. Anybody done that? Anybody want to raise your hand and just just come out? Let's come out. Sometimes I've let my flesh take the lead. Sometimes I have. And you have too. But in our weakness, the Bible says his strength is made perfect. Why? Why? Because our weaknesses reveal that we are being perfected by the one who is perfect. And so hypocrisy is not the disparity between what we do and what we wish we did. It's not that. So what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is the gap between what we show and who we are. It's the gap between what we say and how we live. It's the difference between public persona and private character. A few years back, I read a book called You Are Who You Are When No One Is Looking. That's who you really are. It's a great book, simple book, but it's powerful because it deals with this same message that you are who you really are when nobody else is watching you. And and so the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypocrites, which means in the Greek, and it comes from the old Greek, from when they, back in the day when they had plays, and they would stand up and they would, they would do these orations and plays, and the actors would hold up a mask and they would play the part. You know, Bob the carpenter, Bob the builder. They would play that part, and then they would put down that mask and they would put on another one, and, and they became a different character. And that is the word that has become hypocrite. It means an actor or a stage player or one who hides behind a mask. In fact, it literally translates as an interpreter from underneath. Underneath the mask, there's a different person back there. Behind what people can see, 
There's somebody projecting to the world what they think that person wants to see or should see. Behind the mask, there is an interpreter from underneath. A hypocrite. Eventually, the Greek word evolved to refer to anyone who was wearing a figurative mask and pretending to be someone or something that they are not. Titus 1.15, Paul said this, he said, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. And listen to what he says, he said, They profess to know God. They know how to act like they know God. They know how to put on the mask. Outwardly, they profess that they know God, but they deny Him by their works. They come to church on Sunday, praise the Lord. They know the language. Like a, a talented actor, method acting, they play the part, blessings and honor and, and all the Christian language that's been on the shelf all week starts coming out. And all the other language they've been using goes on the shelf. They do a little switcheroo and they put on the mask. And they say, you know what? This is who I am. This is what I'm about. Paul said they profess to know God, but when they put down the mask, their works say something different than their words say. And so hypocrisy is the evidence of unbelief. It is doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Hypocrisy enters when people have twisted their view of truth. And it is particularly insidious because on the surface, it can be really hard to tell the difference between what is holy and what is profane. It gets really difficult when people start playing the part to know the difference between what is of God and what is not of God. And Jesus dealt with this often in scripture because Here's what hypocrisy looks like in action. It's, it's when I give to be seen. The Pharisees, the Bible said they would march into the temple and they would wave their offerings. I, I don't think that's what we mean when we say a wave offering. But they would, they would march in and show everybody, look, look at how big that bill is as they drop it in. Making it rain for the Lord, right? And that was how they gave. Giving to be seen. That's hypocrisy. Fasting to impress. When the Pharisees would fast, they would mar their faces and they would walk around. Oh, oh, what's wrong with you today, Tom? I'm not eating. I'm fasting. How many of you have ever denied fasting to try to make sure that you aren't doing it for the wrong reason? You fast today? No. No, because we don't want to be that, that Pharisee that, oh, my stomach's killing me today. I've just been fasting for days and days. And fasting to be seen of men. Praying to be heard. How many of you ever noticed this happening? Somebody's praying and then somebody else walks by and all of a sudden they become a whole lot more verbose and austere. Oh, heavenly Father. <laughs> praying to be heard by people. Singing songs and preaching sermons not to glorify God but to glorify self. And here's the thing, is it all looks like the right stuff, but underneath it's an interpreter from underneath, projecting an image out that is not really what it is acting as if it is. And so it's criticizing others while secretly I'm doing the same thing. And in Christian circles I'll say, how dare they do that? And then when nobody's looking, I do the same thing. That is hypocrisy. 
It's like the woman caught in adultery. They dragged her in front of Jesus and wanted her dead for her sins. But when Jesus said, hey, who's without first sin? Or, or let the one who is without sin, let, let him cast the first stone. All of a sudden, everybody started backing away. Because they, they, they were okay with exposing her sin, but they weren't ready to expose their own. And so, Jesus never spoke more harshly to any group of individuals than he did to hypocrites. He was pretty hard on hypocrites. Matthew 23 is Jesus' last public message before he dies on the cross. And in that message, he gives seven woes to the spiritual leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees of that day. And in Matthew 23, it is a scathing denunciation of false religion and hypocrisy. Because, listen, a woe is an exclamation of grief. And so in pronouncing woe over them, Jesus was prophesying judgment on the religious elite who were guilty of hypocrisy and some other stuff too. And so he says this in Matthew 23, 27. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites! Now we love Jesus when he's with the woman in the dust, don't we? We love him when he's in the dust saying, neither do I condemn thee. But here is Jesus, and he's addressing the spiritual leaders of the day. And he says, woe unto you, you hypocrites! Not easy words from Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. And in the same way, on the outside, he said, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? The same Jesus who loves sinners, the same Jesus who sat at dinner with publicans and tax collectors, and even today nobody likes a tax collector. Amen. I'm going to amen myself. But Jesus spent all of his time with all these people who were unworthy, but when it came to the religious people of the day, he stood against them and he said, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Because of your hypocrisy. Because they wanted to look good on the outside while being dirty on the inside. He said, you may clean the outside of the cup, but inside it's full of poison. And so it doesn't just matter to God what people see and what people perceive. It matters to God what is really underneath. And this, this lesson goes hand in hand with hollow worship. Because who produces hollow worship? Hip hypocritical people do. People that don't love God, don't live for God, don't worship God, don't pray to God, don't talk to God, don't read God's word, don't do any of that, and then come in Sunday and just fall apart as if they're a worshiper. And it becomes hollow through time. Well, hypocrisy wants to look good on the outside while being dirty on the inside. It wants the illusion of public virtue while hiding private vices. And so here's what I want you to hear. Jesus wasn't calling out the sin. In fact, Jesus really didn't have a problem with the actions of the Pharisees. He told us and, and, and people in his own day, he said, except you exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter in. It wasn't what they were doing, their actions that was wrong. 
It wasn't the fact that they were giving and, and that they were uh, living a life of devotion. It wasn't those things. It was that underneath it all, there was a different motive, and they were doing it all to be seen of men. And so Jesus wasn't calling out the sin. Jesus was calling out the show. That's what he was really dealing with. He wasn't calling out sin. He was calling out the show. And he didn't say, woe to you who cuss. Woe to you who watch bad shows. Woe to you prostitutes and woe to you. He didn't say all that. He said, woe to you who do it but act like you don't. That's who he pronounced woe to. And so Psalm 51, 6 says this, and it, it speaks to the heart of God. He says, David says, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You desirous truth in the inward parts, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David understood this, and this is during his prayer of repentance. And, and, and David understood that God is not looking for a mask. God is not looking for me to pretend and play the part and seem to everybody to be okay. It's not about that. What God really desires is truth in the inward parts and truth in the secret place of your heart. That's what God is really after. It's not about the words you use. It's not about what people perceive and what people say and men's opinion of you. It's not about those things. It's about what's in your heart. What would Jesus undo? He would undo hypocrisy. He would rescue those who were living a lie. He would help his people to be honest and be open before God and others. He would underscore the awesome power of transparency. Because you know, our tendency is to hide our sin. Anybody ever do this as a kid? Try to hide what you did? Try to cover it up? Write on the wall? Move the picture over six inches? Maybe mom will never notice. Make a big mess, break something and hope that nobody notices. Anybody ever been there trying to cover it up? That's what we do. Adam and Eve, when they sin, what do they do? They try to go, they, were, they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed and they go try to put on fig leaves. They're trying to cover it up. But listen, tr there's a power in transparency. And, and this came, I came to understand this a few years back. We were involved, my wife and I were involved in this deal called the Jonathan Project where um, some young ministers and, and some uh, experienced pastors, we got together about nine times over the course of a year. And one of those, uh, they, they asked us to bring our wives, so my wife and I went, and they had a, a preacher there who had had an affair on his wife. And he had been a licensed minister in our organization, but he had, uh, he had had a one-night stand with a lady from work, and he lost his license, and he had come clean, he wasn't caught but he had, he had come clean, he told his wife, he told his pastor, he ended up losing his ministerial license, and, and we were about 10 years after this had happened. They invited him to this thing, and he sat down at this table, we were like at a big long conference table, and for the next two to three hours, he answered questions about how he got there, what he did, why he did it, what was going through his head, his heart, how he how he was able to recover. He's now back in ministry, serving in a capacity in a church, and, and he just laid his life open of everything that he had done. And up to that point, I would have thought, you crazy? Don't tell him that. Why would you tell everybody your business? But I learned something in that setting. I walked out of that room with an immense respect for that man. I didn't look down on him. 
I looked up to him because he was Christian enough to recognize when he was living a hypocritical life. And you know, the interesting thing is, is that through his transparency, he was powerfully helping other people. Powerfully helping young ministers not make the same mistake. He was willing to lay it all on the line and lay it bare. And I want to tell you, that takes a lot of guts. That takes a lot of guts. There's a power in transparency, in coming clean, in taking off the mask. I, I ran across this old poem from the late 1800s, and it's, it's, it's improper English, but it's so good. It's called Don't Be What You Ain't. I'm just going to read you a little part of it. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But it, it says this. It says, the sunflower ain't the daisy, and the melon ain't the rose. Why is they all so crazy to be something else that grows? Just stick to the place you're planted and do the best you knows. Be the sunflower or the daisy, be the melon or the rose. Don't be what you ain't, just be what you is. Because if a man isn't, uh, is what he isn't, then he isn't what he is. He said, if you're just a tadpole, don't try to be the frog. If you're the tail, don't you try to wag the dog. Just pass the plate if you can't exhort and preach. If you're just a little pebble, don't you try to be the beach. Don't you be what you ain't, just you be what you is. If a man is what he isn't, then he isn't what he is. I love that poem. Because if you aren't what you are, then who are you really? Jesus desires truth in the inward parts. Why, why do people become hypocrites? I'm going to spend about the last 10 minutes and I just want to talk about this a little bit. Why, why would somebody become a hypocrite? Because I don't think anybody wakes up one morning and says, you know what, today's the day. I'm bringing out the mask. I'm tired of this. Everybody's going to think I'm holy now. Everybody think I'm unrighteous now. They're going to they're worship me, and I'm going to show them how great I really am. I don't think that it starts that way. But I believe that hypocrisy is built on some underlying lies, and I'm just going to brush through these. And, and I, I just was thinking about this, and it, it came to me that hypocrisy is built on the lie that image is more important than reality. That what people think you are is more important than what you actually are. And every sin is manifested because we believe something that is not true. And when you believe that what people think about you is more important than what you really are, and your image is more important than what really is, you've missed the point altogether. It's a lie. It, it, hypocrisy is built on the lie that blessings come by what you do and not why you do them. Jacob wore a sleeve to steal his blessing. When it was time for Isaac to bless Esau, Jacob, the Bible said he and his mother fashioned a plan where he puts a skin on his arm to re replicate the arm of Esau because his brother was so hairy that he had to use goat skin to make it feel like it was his arm. And Jacob slips on the sleeve and comes in to his blind father who is dim of eyes. And he says, I am Esau. And he says, behold, it, it sounds like Jacob, but it's the arm of Esau. Jacob thought he could get blessing because of what he did and not why he was doing it. And, and he tried to steal their blessing because if I just do the right thing, maybe God will bless me. Whether my heart's in it or not. Whether my soul's behind it or not. And the real blessing for Jacob would only later come when it was a wrestling match with God. And he was honest with God about who he was. Hypocrisy is built on the lie that people determine your destiny. Paul asked, 
Are we then pleasers of God or are we pleasers of men? Who are you living for? Because if something is God's will for your life, there's no person on earth that can stop it. But you. In Acts 5.29, Gamaliel, looking at the apostles, had great wisdom when they were clamoring, trying to figure out, what are we going to do with these disciples? Gamaliel came and he said this in Acts 5.29, he says, but if, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Do you know why people put on the mask? It's because they think if they act the right way to the right person, that person will open the doors that they need. That's not how God works. That's not how blessing works. The Bible says promotion comes not from the east nor the west, but from on high. And there are a lot of people who wear masks because they think it will get them ahead in their religious world. That it'll bolster their reputation. Opportunities will open up. People will think better of them. And, and they will be trusted and respected. And they're looking to gain all of these things that God really wants for them. But they're doing it with a mask rather than truly pursuing it. It's built on the lie that people determine your destiny. It's built on the lie that you've sinned, uh, uh, that admitting you've sinned will cause you to pay a high price. There's a lot of people who will never admit that they failed. Will never come clean that they failed because they think it'll, I'll pay too high of a price if, I'm, if I tell the truth. Here's the truth. You will pay too high of a price if you never take off the mask. That's when you really pay the high price is if you can't come clean and be honest. Let me sum it all up. When we place emphasis on man's ability, man's opinion, man's judgment, man's opportunity, and we begin to live the lie that only what people see matters, we begin to rob ourselves of the transforming truth of God because God desires truth in the inward parts. He doesn't just want you to act in accordance with Him. He wants to do a work from the inside out. You see, Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy. He has zero tolerance for hypocrisy. He says, how will you escape, you hypocrites, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Here's what people don't realize. As long as you are trying to falsify your way forward in your Christianity, is you're consigning yourself to condemnation of hell. You can't be real to save. And Jesus tells, the, tells these Pharisees, religious people, everybody would have said, that's a good man. He goes to church even on Wednesday. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good Pharisee. I saw him giving and they did all the right stuff. But behind it, something was missing. And Jesus says, how are you going to escape hell? Because it's not about the actions that you do. Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy, but he has unlimited grace for sinners in need of forgiveness. Zero tolerance for the mask, but arms wide open to the person who comes as they are and admits what they're dealing with. What a powerful message that there is hope for the hypocrite. He said, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, listen to what he said. He said, first, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. You won't have to put on a veneer, a shell. 
And so, here, here's the thing is, is, we've got to aim for being an honest sinner rather than li- a lying hypocrite. I'd rather be an honest sinner than a lying hypocrite. Because a lying hypocrite has no chance. <laughs> a snowball's chance in you know where. <laughs> right? But Jesus has open arms for the honest sinner. Because, listen, this is what repentance really is. And I'm, I'm almost done. Repentance is really agreeing with God about your sin. That's really what repentance is. It's made up of two words in the Greek, uh, a compound word, metanoia, which is made of two words to change the mind, change in mind. And when you suddenly come to the realization that what God says is true and that what I've been living is wrong, and when I begin to agree with God that maybe I've been a liar my whole life, maybe I've been an addict, maybe... I've looked to all sorts of different things for my fulfillment. Maybe I've been worshiping all sorts of stuff. Maybe I've been, been living a lustful, lascivious lifestyle. Maybe I've been doing all of that. But when I come to an agreement with God that I am who you say I am, and this is who I really am, when you change your mind, that's when you can really know God. That's when you can really experience God. Listen to this, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Whoever conceals their sins... Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. Can't prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You know, you know how to make a bad situation worse? Just keep living the lie. Keep wearing the mask. And you can circle so bad until judgment settles. Because I believe that, that judgment never settles without opportunity for repentance. When you see public figures and their lives have fallen apart, it's because they've, they haven't responded to the opportunities to repent. Judgment doesn't come until there's opportunity for repentance. That's passed over and over and over again. Listen, if you go to hell, you're going to walk over the mercy of God many times over. You're going to walk over the grace of God many times over because God has room for an honest sinner. God has unlimited grace. But as long as we're wearing the mask, we can't prosper. As long as we're acting like something we are not, we cannot prosper. As long as we're hiding behind religious acts with no real relationship with God, we cannot prosper. It's when we finally drop the mask, confess to God and to people that God can truly bless us and give us mercy. In in Genesis, I reference Jacob. You know when Jacob's life really changed? It was not when he stole the blessing with a sleeve. Because he got the blessing of his father, but he didn't have the blessing of his father. And the, the Bible says that Jacob continued to live in turmoil. This man whose name meant supplanter just kept on supplanting folks. He, he, he lost relationship, destroyed relationship with his family, his home. Had to run for his life. Went and lived with Laban. And, and, and he married wives there, but he's still in turmoil. And when he's finally coming back home to meet Esau, he's scared to death. That all of his sins are finally catching up with him. And there at the crossing of Jabbok, Jacob, he sends his family on ahead across the river and he stays behind and he meets with God. And the Bible says he wrestles with God till the break of day. And you know when Jacob's life changed? He wouldn't let go. He continued holding on. He went through. It was a struggle to get to that point to change. He was fighting for something, a blessing that he had never had before. But finally, in Genesis 32, 27, 
angel of the Lord said to him, what is your name? Who are you? He says, I am Jacob. I'm the supplanter. I supplanted Esau, Laban. All throughout my history, I've cut the feet out of under all the people that I love. I am Jacob. And then the Lord said to him, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. When he finally took off the mask and came clean with God about who he was, his life changed forever. I believe there's power in this message because you have nothing to fear when you have nothing to hide. Jesus, zero tolerance policy for hypocrisy. But he has unlimited grace for somebody who is in need of forgiveness of sins. And there is no sin too deep and too dark that he will turn you away. If you've messed up your life and it, it went, no matter how deep and how dark it gets, there is no hole that he cannot pull you out of. Brother David, a few weeks ago we talked about the addiction and, and uh, how God brought you out of it. You shared your testimony about how God brought you out of heart disease and you live a committed life now. There, there's no hole too dark. People all across this room that have experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. You don't have to live a fake because Jesus is real. And so how, as we stand, how do you close the gap? Listen, when there's a gap between who you are and who you want to be, you don't close it with trying harder, with perfection, of being the perfect Christian, doing the perfect things. Here's how you close it. The Bible says that if we sin, speaking to the church, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Listen, I don't know who this is for tonight. I don't know why this came up on this particular night, but God knew who would be here. But I think we all could do sometimes with putting down the mask and saying, you know what, God, I'm nobody special. I'm just somebody who's in need of you. And the more that we depend on God, the more we will see his transformational power. And the beautiful thing is when you come to Jesus as you are, he doesn't leave you like you are. When you come to Jesus as you are, he doesn't leave you in your state of sin. But it's an in, internal work. What did he say? He said, first cleanse that which, was, that which is within. And, and then the outside will be clean. He said, get the inside right. Bring your heart to Jesus. What do you do? How do you do it? Do you, do you perfect yourself and, and try harder? No, you run to Jesus. You close the gap by running to Jesus. When you mess up, guess what you do? You run to Jesus. When you fall down, you run to Jesus. When you live inconsistently with what you believe, you run to Jesus. When you stumble, you don't cover and conceal, you run to Jesus. You don't try to right the ship by trying harder to look and be holy and seem holy, but rather you run to the one that is holy because he has unlimited grace for the sinner in need. What would Jesus undo? He could undo hypocrisy. And I want to tell you, he can undo it with just one prayer of repentance. It doesn't take much, just... Honesty with God. Amen. I wonder, I'm going to ask the ushers to prepare. And we're just, can we just lift our hands and pray? I feel the Holy Spirit in this room right now. Lord, God, you, you are speaking to somebody's heart, God. I don't know whether it's in this room or somebody online. 
watching a computer or a phone in some private setting right now. But Lord, you see people who have struggled to try to be something they're not. And Lord, your word, your gospel, your truth says that we don't have to do that. That you saved us. That you laid down your life because of our sin and for our sin. And so, God, we confess tonight, God. We come to the foot of the cross. We repent of our sins, God. We lay down every mask, God. We lay down spiritual pride. We lay down self-righteousness. We lay down all of these things, God, because we want your spirit to fill us. We want your spirit to change us, to form us, to shape us, God. Lord, undo hypocrisy in my life. Undo it in the life of the members of Christian Life Church. Undo it in our city, God. Undo hypocrisy through the power of your Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Can we just give the Lord a hand clap of thanks and praise?